Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual, professional, medical, or mental health advice. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host, Kara Carincefeli. I'm a certified holistic health coach, and I help all human beings make peace with food in their bodies so that they can take their time, money, energy, and brain space back from the pursuit of thinness and perfect eating. And today's podcast review comes from N. Colette's Every Woman Should Be Listening. Kara is a fantastic host and has so many insights on diet culture, binge eating, true health, and body image. I truly think everyone needs to listen to this podcast. It's so wise and chock full of discussion, advice, and science you won't hear from mainstream conversations around wellness or health. Kara's conversations with guests are my favorite. They're so fun. Mm, thank you so much for that review. And Colette, I so appreciate you taking the time to leave a review. And for all of those you have left reviews, thank you. And I'm so excited for the guest today. It's going to be another awesome interview. Um, but if you are enjoying this podcast, if you've gotten value out of it, if it's made a difference for you, pretty, pretty please go leave a, a ratings and review on iTunes. That is one of the best ways that you can kind of send me like a little virtual thank you note uh, for creating the con the content, for putting the podcast together. I spend a lot of time uh and energy and, and money as well. It's not free to produce this podcast um, for you guys. And I love doing it. And if it's made a difference for you, I would be so grateful if you would actually like hit pause on the podcast right now and go over to iTunes and leave a ratings and review. I would be so grateful to you. And then you would have a chance to have your review read on the podcast too. Okay, moving on. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by my online course, Break Free from Binge Eating. If you're ready to make peace with food and a ditch diet culture once and for all, I would love to have you apply to join the program. So moving forward, I've decided that it's going to be by application only. Um, and if you're interested in learning more about the program and seeing if you're a great fit, I would love to have you apply for a free 40-minute discovery session with me. And what you can expect if your application is approved is we'll take a look at what's going on in your relationship with food and what's keeping you specifically from ending binge eating, emotional eating, and or chronic dieting. We'll also get clear on what you want for yourself and your health and see how you can make that vision a reality. And we'll come up with an action plan for you so you know exactly what steps to take moving forward. Now, my intention is, of course, to see if I can support you through that process with my online coaching program, Break Free from Binge Eating, or another program. Now, if not, that's totally fine. This call is my gift to you. So my goal always with any of my discovery calls is to make sure that you walk away with a lot of value. Whether you decide to move forward with me or not, I want to make sure that the time that we spend together on the phone provides some clarity for you. So if you are really ready to 
peel off the layers of diet culture, overcome all of the ways in which restriction is popping up in your life and leading to binge eating. Because I'm sure you've heard me a million times now say that, you know, uh, binge eating is the reaction to restriction. And there's lots of ways restriction happens. But if you know that you're really ready to heal this area of your life, I'd love to have you apply for the program. So you just go to karaskitchen.net forward slash apply. Again, karaskitchen.net forward slash apply. And I'm looking forward to talking with you about healing your relationship with food. Now today's guest is Nicola Salmon and she is a fat positive fertility coach. She is incredible. I was going back and editing the intro, I'm I'm sorry, editing the podcast before recording this intro and I was like, oh my God, she's so lovely and sweet and just like nice and relatable and compassionate and empathetic and you just like want to be her BFF. And we talk about really, 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 really important topics and myths that are routinely instilled Uh, in our society these fears about getting pregnant and being in a larger body and being fat and and what that really does to a woman who is not only struggling with body image but also struggling with trying to get pregnant I'm so excited for this conversation so whether you're a mom right now whether you want to be a mom in the future or you're not really sure or you know that you definitely don't want kids wherever you fall on the spectrum I think this is an important conversation because whether you relate personally or not, there's likely someone in your life who um, is going through something similar and this will just allow you to be more compassionate and empathetic and relate and be a support. So wherever you you are in relationship to, to motherhood and fertility, I think this has value because we talk about periods and PCOS and we talk about body shame and we talk about cultivating confidence and comfortability in your body. We also talk about trying to raise children as intuitive eaters and and navigating raising children in a world where diet culture is so prevalent. So anyways, without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod pod today. We have a really awesome guest with us. I'm so excited for this topic. Uh, Today's guest is Nicola, and she is a fat positive and feminist fertility coach. She helps fat women who are struggling to get pregnant, find peace with their body, find their own version of health, and finally escape the yo-yo dieting cycle. Nicola, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about all this with you, Tara. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. Let's dive into the podcast questions. So a quote that I really love Mm. is, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. This approach has never let me down and it has made all of the difference in my life. And that's by Steve Jobs. So yeah, I love that one too. Uh, Can you connect the dots for us? What led you to where you are now doing the incredible work you're doing to help women? Mm, And there are some really good dots in my story because um yeah my 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 journey my career my life has taken some really interesting turns and it all really started well I guess initially it started when I was really young so maybe like eight or nine that's when I first I guess became really aware that my body was different than my sister so I have a younger sister and she's about three years younger than me and I guess I was like the chubbier child um but it was around eight or nine that think we started to be treated a little bit differently by my family and by my parents and by my grandparents who looked after us a little bit just in like you know really simple things like food choices like I'd be choosing different crisps because they had less calories and you know just little things like that where I noticed that my food or my body started to become an issue um 
And as I got a little bit older, it started to kind of ramp up a little bit. So that's when I had my first diet. That's when my kind of yo-yo dieting began in earnest, maybe like around 11 or 12. Um, and I started my periods when I was 13. And after my first period, I didn't get many, if any, maybe like one or two periods over the next two or three years. Um, went to see the doctor, tried to find out what was going on. You know, they just kind of, oh, it's just normal. You know, they're just irregular. It's really common. It, they'll start to regulate, but they never did. And then when I went to see the doctor at 16, we saw a different doctor and she told me that I had polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, which is a really common hormone and metabolic condition um, that affects your, your period. So it makes your cycles really irregular. Um, I also had um, weight gain, which again is another kind of classic PCOS symptom. I had excess hair growth, acne, all these wonderful things that you can, you know. That you want at 16? Of course, a joy. And um, in that same appointment, she basically said to me that I would never be able to have children. So that was kind of not really something that I remember processing really as a kid. Like I was just like, okay, well, that doesn't really mean much to me at 16. But looking back now, I can really see that it had a really huge impact on my self-confidence, on, you know, on my trust in my body, on so many different levels. Um, so yeah, so that was, that was that. I had this diagnosis, this label of PCOS, that's who I was. It meant that I was, you know, fat, that it meant that it was going to be difficult for me to lose weight and kind of the yo-yo dieting continued because they just said, well, we'll put you on the pill that will reg regulate your cycles, which we really know that actually going on the pill doesn't really do anything to your cycles. But that was my treatment, told me to lose weight, off I went and that was it. Mm -hmm. um, so the yo-yo diet, yo dieting continued as I was trying to lose the weight, but then putting it back on and then losing it, putting it back on. Um, and then it was, I carried on with that. I went, finished my school, went to uni, did the uni thing, got a job. And then it was when I was working my first kind of proper job in London that um, this horrific incident happened outside my flat. So I was living alone in a little flat in South London. And one night a guy got shot outside my flat. So I witnessed this event. It was horrific. It was traumatic. And I got um, post-traumatic stress disorder from it. So I got nightmares, really struggled to leave the house. Um, just found things really difficult and I tried antidepressants, I tried counselling and nothing really helped me. Um, I didn't really want to leave the house at all and it wasn't until I tried acupuncture, just randomly I was walking past this clinic and decided to go in and ask them what would help and tried acupuncture for um, six sessions I think I had and it changed my life completely. Like It just made such a huge difference to me, it made me feel so much better I was able to, you know, feel better in myself. I was able to go back to work. It had such a huge impact on me that I decided I wanted to train to be an acupuncturist. And that was such a huge flip in my career. So I started um, training at the weekends while I was working full time. And um, yeah, I trained for four years to be an acupuncturist and a naturopath. And then I started my own business um, as an acupuncturist which was incredible and really exciting and something that I really loved doing. Um, and as I was working as an acupuncturist, naturally my interest kind of lay in hormones and women's health because myself, you know, I was 
still suffering from, you know, I'd gone off the pill when I was training because I'd found out all this information about how detrimental it can be for your health. Um, but my cycles were still super irregular. So it was something that, you know, was really of a personal interest to me. So I did some more training in kind of fertility medicine and kind of specialized in that route. And then I just got more and more interested in like supporting women through fertility and trained as a fertility coach. And that kind of led me to this place of kind of being a fertility expert. And then when we were starting to think about trying for a family of our own. So I'd met my husband in that time. We'd got married. And then once we were thinking about that space, I was expecting it to be really difficult for me because because the doctor told me it was going to be really hard because I was still classified as like clinically obese because my periods were still super irregular. But it was really easy for us to conceive both our children. And we were just, I just couldn't believe how easy it was for us because I'd been told this story over and over again about how hard it was going to be, how fat women can't get pregnant, how difficult it's going to be, um, how the pregnancies were going to be like, really terrible you know I was going to get all these horrific diseases and my children were going to be unhealthy but none of that happened you know I had really healthy pregnancies really happy babies and that's kind of what triggered me into thinking more about okay well why do we why are we fed these stories you know what is really going on here and when my children were kind of starting to eat their own food and starting to explore food that really made me so hyper aware of the language I was using around food and my relationship with food. And that's when I gave up dieting, stopped weighing myself and made the decision that I didn't want to do that anymore. Um, and that kind of led me down this road of looking at kind of intuitive eating, health at every size, um, and just really discovering this whole new world of like people who can accept their bodies regardless of their size. And I was just like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And oh my God, where are all these people who are helping these women in fertility? Like there is no one talking about this. Yeah. So it's been a long journey. It's been like so many kind of twists and turns, but it just feels so incredible to now be able to share my experience in living in a fat body, getting pregnant, going through all that and supporting women who, um, who are struggling to get pregnant because there's really not that much support out there from both um, like a Western medicine perspective and also kind of any other support because there's such a belief that these women need to lose weight before they can get pregnant and it's just not true. So yeah, sorry, potted history. It's a bit of a crazy journey, but yeah, it's led me to, I know where exactly where I need to be right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing. And oh, I, my <laughs> it makes so much sense that, yeah you know, your journey led you to where you are now to be able to do the work that you're doing. And, you know, part of what makes you so authoritative and, and such an expert in fat positive fertility is because of your experience. And because you were born into this body, that was, you know, you had been told your whole life, like, wasn't going to work for what you wanted yes. in life. Um, you know, I can, I imagine that so many women listening can really relate and hear themselves in your story. So can you tell us a little bit about what are the challenges that women in fat bodies face when trying to get pregnant? 
And what are, and I think it would be really great to distinguish between like the actual challenges versus the challenges that they're told by our medical community, by our society. Yeah, that's a really good distinction. So I guess the biggest challenge is this almost expectation of feeling shameful or feeling guilty about even wanting to get pregnant. I've heard so many stories from women saying that their doctors have told them it's unethical for them to treat them because um, it would be harmful to their unborn babies. I've heard just so many horrific stories of them being shamed into believing that if they were to get pregnant in their current body, it would be damaging for their children. And of course that is not what they want to do. So that's, you know, it's really frightening for them to think that they could have such a negative impact on their children's future health, that it scares them and shames them and thinks, you know, like, Oh my God, I must be such a horrible person to even want to think about that. And it's, it's so damaging because often these women have had, you know, really negative relationships with their body for most of their lives anyway yeah. because we're all constantly told that being fat is not acceptable and we have to be doing something about it in order to be deemed acceptable in society so it's just enhancing this hatred they have towards their body um so that is like the biggest one but a lot of it is kind of the challenges they face is to get that support to find a healthcare practitioner or um, a doctor or anybody who's going to support them on this journey of getting pregnant. You know, if there are problems, if, you know, for, P- for women with PCOS, there can be a problem with ovulation. So what it does is it, it just messes up your hormones a little bit. So you don't ovulate regularly. And if you don't know when you're ovulating, it's really difficult to get pregnant because you don't know when to have sex. Um, it, it's just, it's just the logistics. It's really, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's lots of things that women can do to support themselves with that. But if they don't know that and they don't get their support with that, then they're just shooting in the dark really. And they're often told of PCOS that again, weight loss is the answer. Weight loss is the cure for PCOS, but it's, it's not, the, the solution you know there's there's all this belief that because um when you know with weight gain there's like an increase of pcos but it's not a causal relationship it's a correlation because of all these other factors with pcos that um, are going on so it's it's quite a, a complicated picture for for women to unpick and obviously they go to the internet and looking for information and any solutions out there, but the internet is so full of information and it's again, it's so full of this weight centric idea that they have to lose weight in order to do it to, to help themselves in any way. And there isn't that much information out there that will support them in more of a weight, weight neutral way where they don't actually have to focus on their weight and counting calories and weighing the scale, you know, all that stuff. So it's, yeah. But the challenges that they actually face are, you know, uncovering all these beliefs they have around getting pregnant and how hard it's going to be. Like that is a big challenge that a lot of women face. And that challenge has been put there by other people, but it's still something they have to face and like how their family is going to react to it. Because, you know, so many of us are surrounded by friends and loved ones and family that we have that are concerned about our health. So they want to support us. And the only way they think they can support us is in losing weight. So it's like having to deal with all that and all their expectations and pressures. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, ovulation can sometimes be a factor if you do suffer from PCOS, which is quite common. Um, but it's just finding that support and that help because fat women, thin women, you know, the whole range of women's sizes, we all suffer from fertility issues. There are a whole range of reasons why that happens completely unrelated to size. But if you can't get help with that, then you can't, you know, sometimes it's impossible to overcome it if it's like a physiological problem. So it's really just finding someone who's able to support you. Yeah. Like to actually be able to provide you real support. That's going to make a difference for you and, and really helping you distinguish the fact that like the, that weight is not actually causal that it's just Mm. correlation. Um, And it could actually be a correlation that has nothing to do with the issues because I know plenty of women who are thin who have PCOS. Like I really got it's, that. like, it's not like a yeah. fat girl's problem. Um, so I would love to know why do you think that that myth is so widespread and so present? And when I say widespread, I was talking with a client a couple of mm. weeks ago on the phone and she's a big fan of this show called this is us with Mandy Moore. Yes. Have you heard yeah. of that? Okay. Yeah. I've never watched the show. But she was talking to me about in one of the episodes that she had recently watched, they were telling one of the characters that she needed to lose weight because she can't get pregnant or she shouldn't get pregnant because she was too fat. And that was Mm. extremely triggering for my client who Mm. wants to have a baby in the near future. But I also immediately was like, wow, that's that's really fucked up to like Mm -hmm. have it be such a widespread myth that it's in our television shows. Yeah. Um, and how harmful and how damaging. And I was so like shocked by this. And I don't know why I was shocked because there's so much stuff everywhere around fat shaming. But why do you think that that myth is so widespread? That's a really interesting question. I think it really, I think it comes from just the whole idea that diet culture is, it's so prevalent in everything that you know and especially for women who's like our only worth in society is deemed to be either we are the you know the young thin stereotype of like this is you know what women should be or we're mothers you know those are really the only archetypes that we have as worth in our kind of patriarchal society um and if you are fat if you you know if you don't fit in this you know, pretty thin stereotype of worth that we've almost deemed acceptable in society, then I kind of see maybe that you don't fit in the other one either. So if you can't be this, then you can't be that. And mm-hmm. it's almost like that if you don't fit into that mold, then you're almost like on the outskirts of society. So maybe then you're not worthy of becoming a mother. And I know so many women feel that they aren't worthy of becoming mothers because they don't feel like they fit in because they don't feel that they are good enough and they felt that way for such a long time because they've never been able to fit into this thin ideal or they fit it and then they've fallen out again and they've you know it's and it's going back to that yo-yo cycling of you know never been able to reach that unobtainable goal of being a certain way in society and even for women who maybe do fit in that ideal but they have to battle every single day to do it. So they have to severely restrict calories or go to the gym three times a day or, you know, doing something so severe that it really restricts the rest of their life and they 
constantly think about food or exercise or what they're eating and what they're not eating and what they should feel guilty about eating and there's almost leaving no room for anything else in their life so it's really it's a really interesting question because there's so many factors that play into it and yeah yeah it's, you know and there is a lot of research out there that shows that women with high bmis or you know fat women however you want to kind of in the research they always talk about bmi which we all know is a load of rubbish anyway yeah but um <laughs> but that shows increased risks of problems in pregnancy and increased risks of like big babies and problems and some of that does come down to like funding issues and like medicalized stuff of like well if it costs more money for these women to have children or they get more complications and they you know it's like a cost to healthcare so there's almost some of it coming from that angle as well of like well we want to make these women as cost effective as possible and I can kind of see it from a perspective as you know if you truly believe that the fat is causing the problem and that um it's going to be dangerous for these women then of course you're going to advise them to lose weight if you're in that model but we know that that's not the case we know that there are other reasons why these fat women are experiencing these problems and then they need different support they don't need to lose weight and to be shamed and told that they're not good enough to be mothers so it's yeah i think there's a million and one factors involved but yeah such an interesting thing to think about yeah. I mean, it comes at us from so many angles and there's, mm. you know, or a couple episodes ago on the podcast, we talked a lot about the social stigmas and yes. the economic disparities that contribute to a mm. lot of the the health divide that we see in the populations um, and that it's not actually just about the weight and that stress can really contribute to your health outcomes and stress can be caused oh, by weight yeah. stigma. That that's a very yeah. valid form of stress. Um, so what are some of the, what's the cause of the, the effect, I'm sorry, the effect, the negative effect mm. impact that dieting and yo-yo cycling, uh, weight cycling has on our hormones and how does actually trying to lose weight make it more challenging for you to get pregnant because of that impact of the yo-yoing on, on your hormones? Yeah. Well, it's, it's so interesting because so many of the studies show like weight and kind of problems increase. And we, you know, we've talked about it. It's not a causation, it's a correlation, but with so many of these women who are in larger bodies, they have had this history of yo-yo dieting and that really isn't taken into consideration in the research. And there's so much alternative research out there now showing that this yo-yo dieting or weight cycling um, has such a negative impact on your metabolic health. And it, it seems so obvious when you talk about it, because of course, if you're restricting your calories severely and then, you know, eating a lot and then restricting, it's going to have such a massive impact on your metabolism. And I think personally for me, that's one of the huge reasons why um, I ended up with PCOS because from a young age, I was on really low fat diets. That was the kind of the on-trend thing in the 80s and the early 90s. Um, and of course, low fat, you know, I wasn't eating it much fat, if any fat at all. Um, and hormones are made of fats, like hormones are built from fats. And if my body wasn't able to get those fats, of course, it's going to have a negative impact on my hormones and my metabolism. Yeah. It makes complete sense, like looking back at it now. But, you know, obviously my parents were just doing the best that they could and what they thought was good for me. But um, yeah, so those diet, like low fat diets 
it hugely impacts on hormones because that's what hormones are made of. But on a more general basis, kind of severely restricting your calories, going on kind of really kind of punishing exercise regimes, puts your body into the stress state. So it takes, um, it thinks that it's either starving in the savannah or you're being chased around by a lion. And it's like, oh my God, you know, this is an emergency situation. We need to prioritize being able to like run away. So all your nutrients, all your energy goes to blood flowing around your body, to your muscles, to your heart, you know, your survival, things that you need to keep going and to stay alive. And diverts everything away from reproduction, digestion, because these things are seen as non-essential. Like you do not want to be having a baby in the middle of a, of a famine or in the middle of kind of like a life or death situation. So it makes complete sense from an evolutionary perspective. Yeah. But when we're doing this voluntarily to our bodies, it doesn't know the difference. So it doesn't know that we are doing it to try and be healthy or be paleo or, you know, whatever the latest fad is that we're trying to follow. Um, but so it's, doesn't matter that we still want to get pregnant it's going to be diverting all the resources all the nutrients away from from our reproductive system and only by kind of really nourishing our bodies and giving them what they need and making sure that we're getting enough calories and you know just making sure that we're feeding our bodies well and looking after our bodies is our body going to think okay we're safe now it's okay we're able to like think about you know looking after our bodies and reproducing and it's the same like you said with the stress it puts your body in the same position. Like your body doesn't know the difference between going into a meeting with your boss and, you know, being chased down by a tiger. It doesn't know the difference between those two stresses. So all the stresses, stresses we experience in our daily lives kind of put us in this chronic stressed out state, which again is the same thing. Our bodies think it's this emergency life or death scenario. So we're just putting our bodies under this like ever increasing load of stress and not of nutrients and over punishing ourselves with exercise and just, you know, trying to keep up with this crazy fast daily pace of life we've put upon ourselves these days. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I could actually really see how, uh, no, like restricting your food and not mm. eating food would throw off your hunger hormones. And then if you were to then re respond to that restriction with binging and then like shocking and flooding the system with a bunch of food all at once would overwork all of your organs and put all of this insulin into your bloodstream. And like, like you said, throw all of these things out of balance and your body would be struggling to produce hormones in mm. a balanced way, right? So when you mess up the hunger hormones, well, that's like one area of your endocrine, I think it's your endocrine system that produces your hormones. So okay. it's just, yeah, like you say, it's just one tiny part of this huge puzzle that is your body that does insane numbers of incredible things all at once. And it's not surprising that like when we, do you think you know things to extreme like cutting our calories down and you know just moving our bodies in ways that stress us out it's, it just makes complete sense that yeah it's gonna like completely send it out of whack yeah and like you could be really stressed about like not eating perfectly or really stressed about missing a workout and you're flooding your system with all this cortisol and adrenaline and like you said gonna activate your sympathetic nervous system and that's not really where your body wants to be like in this stressed out state. And you had said that like, well, 
why would the body want you to have a baby when it actually thinks mm. that starvation is happening and that you need to, you're in this dangerous environment because you're running from a tiger. Like the body isn't going to want to produce those hormones for op to make ovulation occur. Yeah. You know, it kind it's of crazy. makes a lot of sense that like dieting actually occurs like a famine to the body. It occurs like stress to the body. Mm. But it really does the opposite of what we're hoping that it's going to do. That's it. And it's just, it's, it's so counterintuitive, you know, the way that they're performing this. And like you said, you know, everyday stresses happen all the time. And I think in our lives, we're, we're often like way ahead in the future or like thinking about the past. We're never really in the present. So we're always either worrying about something that's already happened, panicking about something in the future. So we're never, we're always in this kind of, Oh, something's wrong or something's happened or something you know and our brains don't know the difference between worrying about something that's not happening right now so it's it's just continual like we never give ourselves our bodies a break from that mental chatter that's just always going on and stressing us out mm. so what would you say to a fat woman who's trying to get pregnant who feels like she can't what would you say to her so the first thing was just to believe so really just investigating what beliefs you have around getting pregnant and being in a fat body you know what do you believe what have people told you what what labels do you have around your body and what you believe your body can and cannot do or should and should not do and there are so many things that we tell ourselves stories that we tell ourselves around what our bodies are capable of and what people have told us that our bodies are capable of. So really just bringing awareness to those beliefs can be really, really illuminating because so often we walk around with these stories in our head and we believe that they're the truth. Like we believe that our bodies aren't capable of getting pregnant because our doctors told us that, or we believe that our hormones don't work, or we believe that we don't ovulate, or so many stories when we tell ourselves, and actually we don't have any evidence to support them. They're just, you know, someone's offhand remark or something we read about on the news or a story or a forum. So really just investigating, you know, like what those beliefs are and whether they're really true, whether they're really serving you and just being aware of them can be really, you know, it can really help you to figure out actually, well, if they're not true, do I want to believe something different? Because we have a choice about what we believe. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but we do. And once we realize what those beliefs are, that's only when we can start to change them. Yeah. Yeah. And then what actions do you think that a woman can take? I know that you, uh, do, you are an acupuncturist yeah. and I believe that, uh, acupuncture is a part of your fertility treatment plans for the women that you can see in person. Mm, yeah, um, definitely. What is the role that that, that plays? So acupuncture is just a really great stress reliever. It takes the body out of that, um, chronic state into kind of relaxation, which is like its first action. And that is so powerful for that kind of instant like switch and just to really get the body into a place of receptivity and feeling, okay, we can start to do this now. Um, it's really good at regulating hormones. It's really good at um, just rebalancing the body and helping the body get back to where it needs to be. And I really love it because, you know, there are so many modalities out there that have kind of alternative modalities and things that you can go and see, but just because it kind of brings you back into your body and for so many of these women, they've been um, kind of outside their body. So they've been told by other people what to eat. They've been told how to move their bodies. Like they're always seeking this external advice. 
Um, but for acupuncture, it really just takes you back into your body because obviously it's a physical therapy and it really just kind of brings you back into yourself and starting to like, okay, my body's doing different things now. I can start to trust it. And it just, it's a really incredible experience of just being in your body and just noticing what your body's doing. That's why I love it so much. Mm-hmm. And, and why do you think that that helps women who want to get pregnant and in particularly fat women who want to get pregnant? So yeah, it does all these great actions of supporting the hormones. So it has a really positive effect on irregular cycles. So if something, someone's coming with irregular cycles, which is quite common, it can really help to kind of reduce really long cycles and make them start to make them more regular. And then women can start to feel like, yes, okay, my body's doing something now. It's like, it's helping me. It's supporting me. It's working with me rather than like working against me, which is so common. Um, And for fat women, it's really just about them starting to trust their body with other people as well because I know for a long time for me personally like the thought of like somebody else touching my body or looking at my body or um doing anything like that was quite scary it was quite hard but um you know I'm a very kind of gentle empathic person so when people come and see me they always feel really at ease and really safe and because I'm a fat person as well I think they feel more comfortable in like being able to just kind of not worry about what their body looks like or how I'm going to see their body or anything like that. So it's really just a safe place and a safe environment, which is, yeah, really unusual because they're so often they're used to seeing healthcare practitioners who are going to say, okay, we'll get on the scales and you need to lose weight. And that's the really, that's the only experience they've ever really had. So yeah, yeah it just makes a safe space. And I think half of it, the, the treatment is, having that rapport with someone and having that safe space where you can share what's going on and you know being able to feel like you can talk about it with the same person and they know your story and there's so much of that interaction which is healing as well so it's yeah it comes at it from a few different levels yeah I would actually love to talk about uh being intimate in a larger body Mm -hmm. and dealing with the social pressures and like the fear of sort of embracing our sexuality because we don't actually look like society's version of, you know, what's attractive as a woman. Um, mm. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about your experience and how have you gotten to this place of being more comfortable in your body and being accepting of your body and being able to be intimate and not be ashamed? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that journey and what's worked for you and made a difference in your life? Yeah, of course. So Looking back at like my relationship history, it's very interesting because it's only really now kind of feeling comfortable in my body that I can look back at it and go, whoa, that was a bit crazy because so often I made relationship choices based on who I thought might even be remotely interested in me. So it wasn't who I was attracted to, wasn't who I was you know, interested in spending more time with or having a relationship with. It was people who I thought, okay, well, I don't think that my body's good enough. I don't trust my body. I don't love my body. You know, if I really want to be in a relationship, and this is on a, this is on a subconscious level. You know, I wasn't consciously thinking yeah. these things at the time, but it was like, okay, well, who might possibly remotely want to be with me? Like, who am I worthy of? Exactly. Yeah. Who am I good enough for? It, it was. It's so sad thinking about it that yeah. I had you know it was in that place of like okay well I couldn't be with the boy that I wanted to be with because I didn't think I was worthy of being in a relationship and I can vividly remember the first time a boy asked me out 
and I think I was maybe 16 or 15 and I laughed in his face like not from like a place of like oh my god I would never go out with you but from a place of oh my god are you joking I can't believe you would ever even consider asking me it was that kind of incredulity of like oh my gosh like what what are you thinking this must be a joke because you would never you know it wouldn't even cross my mind so yeah so it, it had such a huge impact on the relationships I had the partners that I chose and also it had a really big impact on how I treated my own body so I wasn't as careful as I intellectually knew I should be with my sexual health because a I didn't think I could get pregnant and B, I didn't really believe my body to be worthy of looking after and to be treated with respect and love. Um, so it was a really kind of really hard lessons to learn in that respect. And I always felt like very ashamed about my body when I, if ever I was like getting intimate with a partner. Um, I'd always be very giving and never expect anything back because I thought that, you know, well, I wasn't worthy enough. And looking back at it now there were so many like unhealthy relationships that I was in because of the confidence and respect that I had for my own body um and then so I wasn't super old when I found my partner my husband it must have been like 23 24 um but that was a very different relationship and I knew immediately that it was a very different relationship from all my previous ones because he actually treated me nicely and because he actually showed me some respect and I didn't feel very insecure in that relationship um, because we were equals rather than me being like this really always feeling like I was unworthy and on the back foot. So mm. I felt a lot more confident in um, being naked with him and, you know, having um, a relationship with him. But yeah, that has definitely grown over time. So Oh gosh, I don't even know how long we've been together about 12 years now. So um, my relationship with my body has changed a lot in those 12 years, especially the last couple of years. Um, and I just feel so much more confident about asking for what I want in a sexual relationship, about making sure my own needs are met, making sure that, you know, I feel totally comfortable like with the lights on and walking around the house naked and you know, all these things which I couldn't even imagine doing, you know, like 15 years ago, yeah. just have built in confidence with my, you know, it's been about looking at my own relationship with myself and just really understanding where that all came from and, and why, why it had the impact it did on me. And I think having children as well, that obviously my body changed a lot while I was having children. Um, and you kind of lose almost that, I don't know it's it's funny because when you're giving birth and there are people around you and your, your vagina is just everywhere for the whole world to see and people are walking in and out and nobody cares you just almost realize that actually you know it's just a body I'm just another woman we all have the same bits um and it's yeah it just doesn't turn into as big a thing anymore so it's definitely been a long long journey and oh gosh I really some of the mistakes I made are just looking back now thinking, oh my God, I just want to give that girl a hug. Um, but yeah, you know, all those things took me to where I am now. So I'm so grateful for all the mistakes I made and everything that brought me to, to this point in time. Yeah. And I'd love it if you could actually dive into this a little bit right now 
Like, how did you get to this place where you are able to feel comfortable and confident in your body when you are someone who's in a larger body? Like, what did that look like and how did you get here? It's been gradual, but the biggest thing for me was making myself a promise to throw away the scales. So this is about two years ago now. I literally smashed my scales up and to never die again. It was a promise that I made myself because I was just so tired of thinking about it all the time and coming to a place of like, okay, well, you know, I can measure my worth, not measure my worth, but like I can find worth support myself in other ways. And yet my worth is totally not depicted by this, any number of anything, you know, like I'm inherently worthy of everything regardless of any aspect of my body. So yeah, so it's been a long journey, but it was really that giving up dieting and giving up weighing myself was the biggest thing because that I just, it just Mm -hmm. drained the life out of my life. And I just, it just came to me like, you know, my God, if every woman is going through this, um, to some extent, most women are, if we all gave it up, think about how much energy we would have as a collective. Think about what we could do. And it just made me so frustrated and just like, oh, I've got bigger stuff to do with my life than just trying to reach this certain size. Yeah. So you gave yourself permission. You were like, gosh, I really, you know what? I'm just going to no longer continue to try to lose weight because I really got this isn't working out for me. And I'm just giving myself permission to quit this. It's okay. (laughs) And I just, oh, I found on my phone, it must have been like maybe a couple of months later, I found this list I'd made on my, in the notes section on my phone um, from a weight loss book I'd read, one of millions. And it was like all these things that you want to motivate, motivate yourself with when, um, so when you lose weight, you'll be able to do this and do that. And it's like, wear skinny jeans tucked into my boots. and Like a when I'm thin aisle list. Yeah. And I was just like, oh my God, I can do all these things right now. What the hell was I waiting for? I know. And I was just like, right, I'm going to go and buy some boots. And it was just it was so liberating because I'd given myself permission that you said of being able to do this stuff regardless of the size of my body. And that just felt so good. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I regularly sit with the reality of the amount of women that have put their lives on hold Mm. because they don't think they're worthy of living the life that they want because of the way that their body looks. And it deeply saddens me immensely and it also deeply drives and motivates the work that I do because like you just said you had this whole list of things that you thought you couldn't do and you were you were like this is bullshit I'm gonna do this shit now like diet culture watch me it's just oh and it just makes me so cross because like I wasted all this time and I could have been doing this stuff from the beginning And for women who are struggling to get pregnant, it's like twofold because they feel stuck in so many other ways in their life. Like they don't want to leave their job. Um, I mean, I know maternity pay is crap in the US anyway, but in the UK, like if you start a new job, your maternity leave doesn't accrue for like six months. So you're like, I can leave my job, but if I get pregnant, then I won't get any maternity leave. And it just like, there's so many ways that it's holding women back. Um, Like they they're dieting you know even just like eating specific fertility foods a special fertility diet that you're supposed to be on um no coffee no alcohol and all this all these rules and restrictions that i have around getting pregnant it's just you know it feel completely sucked out of any social life or any life worth having really and it's so sad 
Hmm. So would you actually say that, that for some women, they, they don't really need to be on that fertility diet. I could, I could see how some women would respond negatively to like the sugar and alcohol with their blood sugar and that Mm -hmm. imbalance in blood sugar could create a hormone issue or the anxiety that some women feel from coffee. So I could see to some extent, maybe there's validity there for certain women, but would you say that the average person trying to get pregnant doesn't need to be on a fertility? I didn't even know there was a fertility diet. (laughs) So it's, it's kind of grown this like whole sub diet industry of like all these foods are supposed to be really good for fertility and you can follow this fertility diet or that fertility diet and if you search like fertility diet on google you'll see wow millions of hits and it's just like it's almost like we've seen fertility now as this next level of health where we've got to like achieve this like ultimate healthy lifestyle to achieve our fertility when realistically it's just another part of our you know our regular health like our fertility whether we're trying to get pregnant or not is a part of our health is, is showing us what our body's doing. Um, and there, you know, as long as we're nourishing our bodies in all the ways our bodies needs to be nourished, there isn't any particular rules we need to be following because we're all different. We all live in different places. We all live in different environments, have different histories, have different health things going, you know, our bodies are so variable in so many different ways. There can be no one diet because our bodies needs change on a minute by minute, day by day, month by month basis. So it's unrealistic to think that a magic, you know, like recipe menu of avocado and you know, what else is on there is going to make a huge difference. And I completely agree that some people are sensitive to different foods and some people will have different side effects, but that's, that's the beauty of knowing your own body. It's mm-hmm. understanding how your body responds to things and then making an informed decision like an adult. You know, we're all adults. We don't need to be told what to do with our bodies. Yeah. We yeah. can make those decisions based on knowledge that we have. So if we know that after we've eaten a Mars bar, it sends us straight to the toilet and we're sat there for two hours, like draining our bowels, we probably want to say, okay, well, I can still eat that Mars bar if it makes me feel good, but I know then that that's the consequence of the action. Yeah. We can make an informed decision about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I could actually see where the help of a, of a professional who's actually really going to work with you and not just tell you to lose weight would be really, really helpful in navigating the world because there's so much out there that's going to say, do this, do that. And that can really create excess stress in our lives and be really, really confusing because we're not really sure what works for us. And I often think that sometimes slowing down and discovering what works for us is really, really hard when we've been told basically since we've popped out of the womb that like our bodies don't know what to do and we need to control and we need to do this diet or that diet. And it's like, nah, man, what's your body say? What your body say is different than someone else. And I could see what, how having someone who would actually really want to partner with you on that discovery. Mm. I mean, obviously I partner with women for a living and as do you, but it can be really helpful to have someone there who's like really on your team and isn't just going to give you this prescription called weight loss and diet. Yes. And off you go. Good luck. Good luck. And that's it. You know, like even from a really young age, we're told like finish what's on your plate or you can't have pudding till after you've finished your dinner and you can't have a snack then and you can't eat that and you've got to do this and you've got to have fruit. And, you know, even from a tiny age, we're like dictating what our children should and shouldn't be eating and when they shouldn't should be eating. So it's just training them from such an early age to not listen to what their bodies are telling them and to do as they're told, basically. 
And I can, I can truly see how all of that is well-intentioned and really mm, coming totally. from a loving place. I would love for you to dive into that as a mother. Can you give mm. us some info and insight on like helping raise children as intuitive eaters? Like what are some things that you've learned and maybe any tips that you can, or advice you can offer other women who, who have children who want to really mm. raise their children free of diet culture stuff? It's hard. Like this is something that I'm still super in navigating it because my son, if I let him, would just eat sugar all day. <laughs> he would eat chocolate till he was sick. And um, it's something that I still really struggle with because this is something that I was brought up on and it's come so internalized in me that you can't have this many snacks and you've got it, you know, and it's so, so challenging to be working against myself you know, cause I'm always going to be working on myself. This is still such a long journey for me. Um, so the, the only advice I can give is kind of like what's working for me right now while I'm in it. And I definitely don't know everything. Um, the first is really language. I have been trying to be so super conscious of the language I'm using around food. So it's hard because I still do it all the time but like using words like treats using words like good foods and bad foods and how he even healthy foods to a degree can be quite harmful because there's almost like this well we've got to be healthy to be valuable in society which you know for people who will never be able to help these then marginalizing them so it's really about just knowing that food really has no moral value that food is just food some has more you know some has these nutrients some has doesn't have these nutrients and that's okay but i'm still struggling a lot to let go of that control and just let him kind of go at it because honestly he would just eat like breakfast cereal all day and then chocolate and it was just it feels quite scary for me to let go of that control still um I'm doing a lot of reading around it and I'm doing it like trying to do a lot of learning while I'm, you know, learning about my own body stuff still and myself. But yeah, language has been the biggest, biggest piece of the puzzle for me so far and really trying to let go of that control and just, yeah, almost like I try with my meals to do lots of little things so they can pick and choose. So there's like lots of choices so then they're able to kind of intuitively pick what foods mm -hmm. they want to eat and what foods they don't want to eat. And there's no like, um, well, you've got to eat your vegetables, otherwise you're not going to get something later. Or, you know, it, there's no like um, rewards for eating a particular way or doing it in a particular fashion. You know, like you've got to eat three vegetables or three bites of this. There's none of that. But yeah, it's still hard to let go of that control for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I, I can really see that from just the days when I was a nanny. I actually sometimes cringe at myself because I was <laughs> so wrapped up in my eating disorder when I was a nanny. And, um, and I have some, I don't know, remorse or guilt or things that I'm like, Oh God, I hope I didn't mess anybody up. Um, <laughs> but I can actually really see how not intentionally telling a child no matter how well-intentioned it is, but actually saying, oh, you can't have dessert until you eat your vegetables is mm. kind of almost like setting yourself up for like a cheat day or like a cheat meal yes. or like you have to earn your food. That's it. Yeah. It's just when you start really digging into everything you're saying around food, it completely messes up your mind because you're just like, oh my God, what can I say around food? And I almost like, yeah, I, and you catch yourself doing it and you just got to, be okay with not being perfect around it because 
it is so inbuilt in everything and it's not just me it's like everybody else around me because of course there are other people around my children you know my son goes to school now and I don't know what his teachers are telling him about his lunchbox and um you know sometimes they'll come out with comments like oh well I wasn't allowed to eat my you know my fruit snack before I ate my sandwich and I just I try just to let it go because I can't really control that environment and all I can do is is what I'm doing at home and I've just got to be okay with that and hoping that I'm doing enough to support him in in trying to figure out what his body needs so that he's able to then go out in the world and do his own thing when he's not with me. Yeah. Yeah. I could really see how like there would have to be this practice, continual practice of letting go of the fact that you can't control everything in school Mm. and you can't control everything in your child's lives and what they eat at friends' houses. And because diet culture is so woven into the fabric of society, it's really hard to escape it. It's like, it's so common. It's like oxygen. It's just everywhere. And like, and if you get so wound up about it, then you're just going to, you know, stress yourself out even more. So it's really that just knowing that 80% of the time they're going to be at home and they're going to be, you know, you're going to be doing your best with what you can. And then you just got to let it go and not make a big thing of it. Because again, the more you make a big thing of it, yeah. like going to the people's houses, then the more it's going to be a big deal. And like something be- they're going to think about. Yeah. And of course we don't want, you know, food is just food. You don't want to be worrying about it or thinking about it or panicked about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So just to recap for people listening, you had said some great things. So giving them a variety of options and letting them choose for themselves. I think that's, that's a really great tip, really practical tip for people to give them a lot of options and allow them to choose what to Mm. eat. And then you had mentioned being, bringing awareness to the types of language that you use around food so that you can consciously work on not using like diet culture based language Mm -hmm. with your, with your kids and then giving yourself permission to not be in control around everything and to relax and to understand that you can't control everything. Yeah. Another, yeah. Another big one I just thought of is just doing it yourself like you can tell them as much as you want but you've got to be doing it yourself because they're just going to see what you're doing so Mm. just yeah just practicing what you preach really and and being okay with like wasting food that's been a really hard one for me um like being okay throwing stuff away that they're not going to eat because they're not going to eat everything if you're putting things out for them um and it's almost like a case of well I can't waste it so I've got to eat it and then that kind of brings in this whole other crazy thing of you know not really listening to your own body's cues and just eating food because it's there. So yeah, being okay with wasting food. <laughs> like not forcing them to finish everything on their plate, yeah. the clean plate club, as we call it. Oh yes. Yeah, 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 for sure. Mm. And yeah, for yourself and just being okay with like, yeah, okay, this is fine. It's better, better in the bin than in my tummy where it doesn't want to be right now. Yeah. Gosh, I could see how that would be such a polarizing concept. I'm like waiting for because I can see the yes. other side of like not having food waste and how much food goes. I can really see this like polarizing opinion in response well, to that. Of like, privileged, it's very privileged um, yeah. place to be. Of course, like, you know, I'm in a very privileged position that I am able to waste food. You know, that is a really privileged place to be. And for some families, that's not, they're not able to do that. And for some families, they won't be able to give their children choice because they won't have that option. You know, yeah. they won't be able to buy sufficient food to then have enough to waste so it is from a place of privilege and you've just got to do the best you can with what you've got right yeah that is is all you're able to do from wherever you're at and know that what you're doing now is going to be good enough yeah yeah I really appreciate you acknowledging 
um, that, that some of those tips definitely come from a place of privilege. Mm. Um, cause yeah, I think that there's a lot of, you know, truth to that. Um, yeah. So yeah, you do the best you can with what you got. And I, I think that That's those it. are really helpful tips. Um, so any last thing that you would like to say for any woman right now who's struggling with her body image, uh, who's struggling with possibly the idea of wanting to get pregnant, uh, any little final words you'd want to send to any woman right now who's really struggling? Just know that right now, right here, that you are worthy of becoming a mum. No matter what anybody else has said, no matter what else you think, what other people have done around you, you are worthy of becoming a mum right now in this body. Yay. I love that. And advice for your 20-year-old self. Oh, Yes. Oh, great, great question. For my 20-year-old self, I would just give her a big hug and say, things are going to get tough, things are going to get good, but just do the best you can because you've got everything you need right now. Hmm. Yeah, thank you, Nicola. Is it Salmon? I didn't say your last name in the intro, right. Nicola Salmon. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can everybody find you? So my website is nicolasalmon.co.uk and I'm on Instagram a lot and my handle is fat positive fertility. Yes. And you have a wonderful guide that women can download called the fat girl's guide to getting pregnant. So I will be sure to leave the link in the show notes and on Instagram, you said fat positive fertility. So be yeah. sure to follow her and thank you so much for being here today. It was such a pleasure to oh. talk to you. Thank you. I'm so grateful to be able to chat about this. It's so important and I just love talking about it so much. Yeah. 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 I really, I really think there's going to be so much valuable stuff in here for women that they're going to be able to relate to. Thank you. Yeah. And that's our show for the day. I hope you guys loved this conversation. If you did, pretty please go leave a ratings and review on iTunes or share it on Instagram. And I will see you all back here next week. Thank you so much. Thank you.